Welcome to the Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on refined. <laughs> what it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. Hello, diary listeners. Uh, I'm here today. It's just me, Amy. It's been me for a couple times now. Uh, the topic for the day, I'm, I'm hoping to make this a, a one-time, I'm, I'm really going to try and consolidate this and not rant too long and make this a one-part episode. Uh, don't know what I'm going to call it yet. I guess I'll, I'll think about that, but I, uh, I ran into uh, information I'll leave, I'll leave who gave it to me anonymous right now until, you know, I, I hear that he really wants to be involved. He did, he did send me this information, so I, I assume that he uh, would want to be involved. But it's neither here nor there. Um, uh, a prior guest of the podcast uh, connected me with a uh, media, uh, media story about how Minnesota is looking to hire a tattoo supervisor to train inmates, prisoners, in prison. And I can link everything within the notes of the podcast I intend to, so everybody can check it out. I'm kind of interrupting a lot of the the pre-recorded shows that I have with people because this came up and I feel like it's worth really examining and uh, I kind of you know I promised a bunch of people that I would be on this I contacted a few friends uh, that I have through various ways one at which that has been a um, member of uh, or not member a guest on the show Steve Cochran um, if you've listened to his his podcast he he actually learned to tattoo in prison or got his his start there uh, proceeded to rehabilitate himself once he was out. Um, when he was in prison, it, it really meant something to him to, uh, to have something to look forward to when he got out. So if you've listened to his podcast, if you, you know, you know, kind of his story, but if you haven't, you should go back. It's a really beautiful story. And Steve's an awesome dude. So I, I contacted him right away and I was like, you know, what do you think about this? And right away, we haven't we haven't a chance to to have a long form conversation. Um, but but right away, he said he had very very mixed feelings. And I think that that's uh, telling, in certain ways, because um, this idea that Minnesota has just on its face uh, really struck me as a bad idea. Uh, now, uh, everyone, I'm. I'm very compassionate towards other people. I'm all about second chances. In fact, I, I had a really crazy incident happen today. I'll segue for a second, but there was a guy in, in behind me at the in the grocery aisle. I was buying a bunch of stuff for my um, for a party. I can't I can't like I can't go too into it. But I, you know, I'm making stuff for this party. So I was buying all this stuff and there was a man, a gentleman behind me and he had very limited things that he was getting. In fact, it, it looked to be all uh, Tide Pods. <laughs> and I think I just ran into a real life Tide Pod addict. But uh, 
It, you know, you don't know. You don't know if these things exist. So he was behind me, and he only had a few things. So I was like, hey, dude, you want to go ahead of me? You know, I, I got all the stuff. He was. He just shook his head. The guy looked really worn out. And then he starts telling me all about his life, and I'm like, dude, if if you're looking to do something shady here, you're you're really not, <laughs> you're really not, you're not being slick. I hope you know, but I, you know, I I don't really care. I really don't care uh, where people are at. If I'm in a place in my life where I have abundance, uh, I don't care how they use it. And from what this guy was sounding like, he was looking to um, lift some stuff from this grocery store. And it was kind of concerning. And I thought, well, you know, if this keeps this man from going to jail, uh, that that would be good, right? Like, he seems pretty desperate. <laughs> I mean, he might be ingesting Tide Pods later. So, it, they, you know, there's more desperate, but that's pretty desperate. And so it was a whole hassle, and um, he basically brought so much attention to himself by how he was um, flagging himself with me, and the girl, the poor girl that was trying to ring me up, she didn't listen to me, and I, I had a certain amount of cash, and I wanted her to break my cash so that I could give him some money afterwards, and I was going to put the rest of my car, Well, she didn't listen to me, and it became this whole fiasco, and, you know, long story short, he really flagged himself as being shady as shit. And I, I, you know, kind of made a scene, but that was, it was purposeful. And I think that the universe was really working in this moment because I had every intention of giving this man money, but he kind of had every intention of stealing, I think, because when I was leaving the gentleman that finally started to ring me out, because I think everybody was kind of hip to what was happening. He came over, he rang me out and we had some nice banter. And then when I was leaving, he looks at the dude. He's like, are you going to put your items up on the belt? And the dude's like, I've already paid for these. <laughs> Which he totally didn't. And now he has 30 bucks of mine. And uh, so, you know, he has an option to pay for his addiction, his Tide Pods, and his desperation. Or leave the Tide Pods, take the money, and go elsewhere. But, but either way, like, you know, he doesn't have to steal anymore. So... In, in lieu of this, I want everybody to know that I'm not a person, I'm not a person who doesn't offer people opportunities to be better. I, I, I am fully a person that cares way more than I should. I mean, just that, that scenario in itself tells you that I, I care way, way more than I should. So I, you know, went back and forth with Steve. We were supposed to talk. We didn't get there. But in the meantime, I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to read this job description. So in the job description, you can look it up. Um, I'll, I'll post all links so that everybody can look things up. But I see a, a contact number. And um, I reach out. And I also read the, the job description. In the job description, it says that it, you need three years tattoo experience and you need to have some corrections experience and I believe don't quote me on this but I think it was around 55 56 to 80k that's grand a year plus benefits for this tattoo supervisor who will be leading the charge of a pilot program to organize 
a, um, a, a, a way of teaching corrections uh, tattooing. And all of this, of course, on, on the optics for the media story, the fluff piece is, oh, you know, it's so great. They're looking to do uh, rehabilitation and job opportunities for prisoners. And, you know, of course, that's, that's how you're going to advertise it. Um, there's this, you know, obviously immense budget for this um, because 50, you know, even just $50,000 is more than most teachers make. You know, um, public school teachers don't make that much. And I even met with a 10-year teacher, and she was like, Amy, like $80,000 is what, you know, somebody 10 years into their career hopes to get, you know, at least starting. And, and they've put 10 years into their career, and that's on a, on a collegiate level. So, you know, you're, you're giving this person with three years, everyone. I don't know if you all have listened to me forever. I'm hoping if you're listening to this that you've, you've followed the podcast for a while. But if you haven't, and this is the first time, I've said this before. Three years into tattooing is when you are finally getting to a point where you're not terrified. <laughs> I mean that with all sincerity. Like you're you're not afraid of certain body parts that you're working on. You feel comfortable. And what I mean terrified is, is that there are certain body parts and skin that just can really rock your world as far as like what it takes of your body, the ability to do the tattoo, the client, everybody. They're just uncomfortable. Uh, tattooing ribs is a, is a big one. Um, that one takes a while to stop kind of fearing in your head like, okay, Got to get my pre-fight hype on and, like, think about how I'm going to tattoo ribs today. I just got to breathe. Three years in is about when you're like, okay, I know how to get ink in the skin. I feel comfortable and confident doing, you know, all manners of, of you know, tattooing placement. And, I, you know, but typically you still need guidance and you still need critique. And one of the biggest critiques that you need is to slow down. You're usually rushing your tattoos. You're usually, um, you know, trying to get to a final product way too soon. Some people are chewing up the skin. Some people are not saturating well enough. They just don't know how to fine tune their machines quite yet uh, to get that those money kind of, you know, juicy looking tattoos that just have elegant line work. And when I, when I speak of this, this is, you know, there's, there's a variety of different tattoo machines. There's coils, there's rotaries, there's all manner of rotaries. There's like hybrids, there's, there's pneumatic machines. There's all these different things. Then there's needle bar configurations. There's cartridges. Now there's all kinds of stuff that you, that varies about how you need to approach the tattoo, run your machine, and what kind of style you're doing. There's just so much. There's, there's, that, and that's just tattooing. That's just, that's just tattooing. And that's not even the foundation of what we do. So I'll get there. So I see all this and I'm, I'm irritated because on its face, this is an insult. It's an insulting thing for not only tattoo artists who have worked very hard to get where we are. And we have done so, you know, pretty, 
pretty well. I mean, there's been a lot of internal, like, mess, you know, some abusiveness and uh, personal stories that uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you know well, they happen here. A lot of hazing, a lot of things. Um, I've heard personally some very shady stuff um, happen in people's apprenticeships. But for the most part, the the industry itself, especially on the the terms that we're going to jump into, have been really, really good. Um, because we, we'd have to be, uh, if we were largely hurting the public, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to keep going. It, it would, it would be a problem. So the, the, the powers that be would definitely slam down on us and it would be very, very, very obvious. And we, it would happen very quickly because the second that we tattooed somebody that was of any kind of high stature or, well-paying job or whatever, and we mess them up and we hurt them, that's going to be a problem. So we've been going for forever, for millennia. <laughs> like, like tattooing has been going the world around with far less PPE and BB, BBP standards. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's personal protection um, equipment and bloodborne pathogen training. So for, you know, in, in our time, we've had, we've had far less of those kind of protocols taken, and we, and we still haven't hurt people to the, to the level to which very much needs to be worried about. All right? So here's the thing. I reached out. Um, her name was Katie Wynn, I believe. Uh, Katie is the HR uh, person at uh, the corrections facility. So she put me in contact with, I emailed them. I emailed them. I said, hey, I have concerns. I'm looking at the optics of this position that you want to hire. And I got, I got a lot of problems. I was like, I've been in the industry now for almost 14 years. It's like 14, 13. I don't know. I, don't, I lost count, but like 14 years, we'll say uh, long enough. And you know, I, I know a lot of things that you guys don't seem to be considering here from my profession, and I really need to talk to you guys. And I'd like very much so for it to be on the record. So I asked that question. Of course, that question never gets answered until, like, the very last minute, <laughs> like like they do. Um, so I get in contact with this woman named Nanette Larson, Nanette Larson is the um, assistant commissioner with the department, and she works in their healthcare uh, facility. Basically, she has a budget for healthcare management, and they do um, HIV treatment, uh, hepatitis services, uh, yada, yada, yada. And um, she also works with apparently sex offenders, uh, uh, cognitive behavioral interventions, SUD, all of those things, uh, those treatments. So she's got this budget, and their bright idea was that there is a lot of, you know, non-approved tattooing that happens. And she begins, well, before we get there. Uh, so I get in contact with her. She, you know, offers me time, a half hour, which I guess is generous. Um, 
<laughs> not in terms of this podcast, man. You know, you know how we can talk on here. So I, I knew I had to be succinct and I knew I had to really like attack this, um, and go after it. And I did, um, I was, I was probably a lot for Nan. That's what she likes to be called. Nan to handle very sweet woman. I, I will say this, like, I don't think she's a, a bad person. Um, and, and just like, you know, this dude that was probably about to drink Tide Pods and, and anybody else that I think deserves, you know, observance and humanity, I, I, I would never try to assume anything um, nefarious. Um, but good intentions do happen to lead to hell. So I, we book a time and I keep asking, I'm like, can this be on the record? And she, she, I forget if it was her or her assistant. She had another person involved, Christine, who was her support staff. And I guess she does all of the appointment setting. And um, so she, I think she had to, Nan, I had to report to her upper-ups and see if it could be on the record, which I asked because I was like, I mean, you guys are um, asking for this tattoo supervisor and you're putting it out on a media broadcast. My guess is I would hope that you guys would be willing to uh, handle some serious questioning with what you're doing because what you're doing is working with taxpayer money. And that's the, the quote unquote budget that you have. It's taxpayer dollars. So if a, if a taxpayer, and specifically one that is involved in the specific industry slash profession that you are, you know, trying to uh, integrate into your system is involved, I would, I would hope that you'd want that. You'd want to hear that. And I would hope that in the uh, in the mode of transparency and nothing to hide, you would say yes, yeah, sure, you can you can record me, you know, you can you can get what you need from me. Uh, I got nothing to hide. This is this is what we're doing, and we're very confident. We've done all the research necessary. We know what you know all this stuff, but I don't think Nan was prepared for me. So Nan and I meet. And this was yesterday. And um, we started out real nice, very sweet, talking about Minnesota. Um, she's like, oh, my God, you know, you don't want to come here. She finds out I'm from Maryland. I said, no, I, 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 um, I don't hope to go there. I have no interest in the profession, but I will say I like your state. I think it's really nice, and I, I enjoy the people that I went there to visit. So as the, our diary listeners know... In January of this year, I visited Weird Ink Society, and it was a, a great time, and I experienced working there uh, with them, and I um, had to pay for a temporary licensure to work there, so I was actually, you know, vetted by their regulatory system there, which they have an extensive one. They have a licensure. They have, you know... It's it's intense, and it happens to be one of the most expensive licenses, temporary licenses I've ever had to pay for in my life. In fact, it's double what I remember Rhode Island's to be. Rhode Island's is seventy dollars for a temporary license, and this one was one hundred and forty dollars. So it was intense. I was kind of I was kind of like price shocked. I mean, it's not it's not a problem, you know. And it, I I don't ever when I'm when I'm traveling, really look to make like gobs of money. 
Um, I like it to make worth the trip, but you know, honestly, I, I think the trip is very educational because I get to experience other artists, how they work. I learned from Jordan about this chair that I love that's awesome. It's like a saddle seat. I'm going segue. But anyway, it's very informative to me, my profession, this podcast. And, you know, I can speak with some some experience about travel and certain things that you encounter. So I begin with Nan, and, and she basically starts out like, hey, you know, let me tell you about the players. She introduces herself. She tells me about her position. And then she tells me about why. Because I, I, my first question was, you know, why, why do you think this is a good idea? And she was like, well, uh, we have, you know, we have uh, health concerns. And people are basically tattooing themselves with and others with whatever they can find. And I have basically a um, healthcare, you know, system to budget and take care of. And if I can control them tattooing themselves with random objects, uh, this really helps my budget. So I told her, I was like, well, I don't think it's going to work. And she was, she just kind of like jumped back and I said, well, I'll tell you why. <laughs> and so like on its face, everyone, like, I'm not saying that there aren't serious health concerns with taking a safety clip and, you know, burning paper and mixing it with the ash with water or what I've heard, cigarette ash with urine or burnt checkers or any number of these kind of prison stick and poke kind of scenarios. There are, there are health concerns there. Um, now, I will say... If that's your concern, give them a bottle of ink and, you know, a, a, a thing a, a, like a, a needle or, um, you know, just not even a needle, like, like alcohol. It just, just, just a cotton swab full of alcohol that they can, that they can wipe a, a safety clip down and go to town. And I feel like that would be um, helpful for her budget. And that way it's a far less transference. I mean, if they don't reuse the same safety clip, they find a different safety clip, you know. Then you're just talking about safety clips, um, some alcohol swabs, which I'm sure they already got, and a bottle of tattooing. Bam! There you go. Uh, they, got, they got their thing. So... The other part of that is, is that even, as I mentioned earlier, even in its heyday, when there was far less provisions, PPE, BBP, tattoos were a very, very low uh, reason for HIV, hepatitis, etc. to be transferred. Now, there, there, was, uh, there was less people who got tattooed, and that's something to observe as well. But even then, um, the biggest spike in any of these illnesses that you'll find if you study at all, uh, bloodborne pathogen, is sexually transmitted disease. So that's the problem. Because along with what I'm sure is illegal tattooing is sex these prisoners are having sex with each other. And I'm sure that that is more so the issue. So I said to Nan, if she was going to do anything, she should give them all condoms. 
Because if we're going to encourage delinquency in the prison system, why not do something that, you know, they're going to do anyway? And you're clearly not finding a budget to give to your correction officers to be better trained, better staffed so that they can stop the delinquent behavior from happening. So if that's the case and we got to lean in to what they're already doing, why not give them condoms? Why not provide them with that so they can have safe sex with each other? You know, um, not tattooing. And again, I'll tell you why, as I told her. Because it's expensive, folks. It's, it's really expensive. Tattooing, I mean, just a bottle of ink, folks, ranges from like $12 to $40 for a bottle. That's just a bottle of ink. There's ink caps. There's, um, there's wraps for everything if you're doing it right. There's barriers for everything if you're doing it right. There's, you know, everybody would need their individual tattoo machine, and that's not cheap either. Even in the cheapest forms of it, that's not cheap. Um, and, and then this is, just, this is just to set them up to be able to tattoo. And you can't reuse anything. And then you have disposal services that you have to worry about as well, you know, making sure that there's sharps containers. Not to mention, I just said the word sharps sharps in prison <laughs> okay and and i would imagine and i don't i don't have confirmation on this though i i did have um a friend say that that they're not budgeting for cartridges which is you know they're they're plunger kind of things that have the needle groupings come out and they attach to a rotary machine and there's a there's a, a bar that gets pushed through the machine that actually plunges the, the tattoo needles out of the cartridge. No, no, no. They're looking to use um, bar and needle configurations that are soldered on. So basically you're giving these prisoners some to which Nan said are sex offenders. <laughs> sex offenders. Shanks. You're giving them basically sharp objects to which they can stick each other with aggressively. Uh, so that's concerning. Um, so that's, that's what I told her. I was like, it's, it's exceedingly expensive to do this profession and do it right. And I said, moreover, tattooing is not the foundation of tattooing. Art is. Art and business is the foundation of tattooing. If you want to, uh, give these prisoners something to look forward to and modes of rehabilitation and something that is career savvy, you'll stick to art. You'll stick to art and you will not um, go beyond that. And if you're going to pay anybody the kind of income that you're looking to pay them, you should pay an art professor and um, somebody who can advise on maybe building an on online portfolio or, you know, systems like Etsy or how to do these things. Like if that, if that's what kind of incentivizations that you want to give and, and that'll help your, um, your health, you know, services as well, because when people are engaged in art, it's mentally cathartic. They're able to work through all of their mess uh, in a very productive, nonviolent way, 
and learn how to create instead of destroy. So I said all this and she said, well, actually we do have um, an art program. I believe it was called Art Art in the Inside or Art from the Inside. Um, I will I will attach that note as well so that y'all can look at the artwork that these prisoners do. She's actually, we, we do have a really nice art program. I said, well then, okay, then what's the deal? Like, what more do these prisoners need, man? Like, you don't need to teach them to tattoo then. And I said, if you were going to up that art game in, in the vein of tattooing, since there is a particular interest there, you could buy them a subscription with uh, Reinventing the Tattoo. And by all accounts, Guy Atchison on his actual site encourages studio owners to buy them for the shop and pass them around to their, their artists, the subscription. So I don't see any reason why he wouldn't mind uh, you buying a subscription and live streaming in his classes on a weekly basis for your prisoners to start gearing their portfolios and their artwork for tattooing. But the biggest thing is that she's creating a problem for my profession. She might be alleviating her profession as she sees it, but she's making a problem in mine. So she's like, well, you know, what options are these people supposed to have? Basically, finally, before I get on to why it's a problem for my profession. And I said, none, they're not supposed to have any, they're in prison. Um, I mean, that's it, people. None. Tattoos are a luxury. No one needs them. They are not needs. They are tattoos. And they shouldn't be had in prison. And more than likely, if they're being had in prison, they're more than likely gang-related, which is definitely not good and not to be allowed. But even, even on a, like more upscale level, um, my estimation is, is that these people are going to need or want to tattoo each other eventually. And I, I, I can't imagine that the system itself is going to encourage or allow for that, that that was not something I validated with Nan. We ran out of time because I only had a half hour. Um, I, I would imagine that a they're going to buy these people fake skin or something like that so they can practice. But then they're going to want to tattoo each other at some point, or they're going to commission for people to volunteer themselves to be tattooed by prisoners, which I can't even imagine that. I really, I, I really, really can't. Uh, it just, it drives me insane. And talk about like, you know, if you're already dealing with people who are questionable, who have had sordid pasts, um, who you're dealing with things like hepatitis and HIV already, uh, and then you're going to bring the public into this on a voluntary basis. I mean, just the, the endless amount of liability that this creates. But even if they're tattooing themselves, and as I pointed out to Nan... This really screws them because, folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but tattoos still are not something that you can just enter every single job field in. You can't. 
There are job fields that you limit yourself to having if you have tattoos. In fact, on my way to Minnesota, a beautiful flight attendant came over to me and said, oh my God, I love your tattoos so much. I really would like to have more, but I actually have to get rid of the ones that I have in order to progress in my job. And I said, get the hell out of here. You got." And then she shows me this like quarter size emblem that is apparently family related. She goes, it's just like a a thing I got because of my family and I have to get it lasered off. And I was like, oh my God. But you know, I guess it makes sense that she's traveling to other places in the world potentially. And, um, you know, it probably would limit her advancement in her job. So, you know, there's still there's still jobs that you close the door on. And if what we're trying to encourage with these people is actual real life rehabilitation, we'd keep them from doing things that are going to hurt themselves ultimately. And again, I think this budget is misallocated and should be probably in correction officers to learn how to diffuse these situations, manage them and not get hurt. And give them more power and backing in order to, you know, keep these things from happening altogether. You know, they shouldn't be happening in prison. That's not technically supposed to happen in prison. And I also imagine that despite what is done in these classroom scenarios, there's going to be a lot of things that still happen on the back end uh, when people aren't looking to. And it's not going to stop the bullshit. It's just not going to stop the bullshit. It's just going to it's just going to inflate it more, waste taxpayer money and not help these people. Whereas if you encourage them to just lean in full hard into art, if they're already in these art programs, they're already amazing artists. Art runs the gauntlet of things that you could do outside of prison. I mean, shit, dude, you wouldn't even have to leave your house if you're a really good artist and you knew some business savvy, you you put that stuff online and develop a great portfolio for yourself while you get like a part-time job or something, hopefully that you can get because you haven't tattooed your face, your hands, or whatever gang signs that you want to tattoo in prison on you. Hopefully you're able to do that and, and uplift yourself into an art profession of some kind. Um, and then... As far as like, as far as tattooing, I think they, they mentioned like a temporary licensure. So, so here's the thing. So they leave prison with a temporary licensure in tattooing, which means that a studio owner would have to consider them a full-fledged tattoo artist and risk their clientele to a person who has been bona fide by the state and... And, and they have no understanding of how this person came to be, uh, what, what has happened. Like, you know, this person has been cleared by a government entity using our tax dollars, by the way, tax dollars that studio owners pay a gobs amount to have and, and have to have their people get licensed and pay into the system as well. So they're, they're, they're essentially paying for this. Just the whole thing, guys. Oh, my God. So then, you know, that's the other thing is that 
these people come out. They, I, th- I think that there was like a temporary licensure that was discussed about craftings. But then let's go back to the licensure that I had to have. On that form is a question that says, have you had a felony in your past? Now, I don't know how far that question goes, but because I've never had a felony, but they do have that question on on the endless amount of paperwork, dude, that you got to fill out for the state of Minnesota to give you a temporary licensure to operate in their state. So now we're now the felony is no longer a thing. Now that's not a thing. You're just going to directly get approved via a three-year-old tattoo artist who crafted a pilot program to teach prisoners how to tattoo with some correction experience, um, all with the optics to keep them from doing stick and pokes uh, that they're not even supposed to be doing anyway. So here's the thing. I offered the subscription service to Nan as far as like Iatchison because that's a cheaper option for encouraging the kind of career advancement that anybody who knows the name Guy Atchison and reinventing the tattoo, their ears would perk up. And just knowing about that subscription service and working that program, almost any tattoo artist would probably give an inmate coming out of jail who had been regularly submitting themselves to that and diligently and building a portfolio and building a knowledge through that system would probably give them a benefit of the doubt opportunity. And that's the other thing, folks. The state of Minnesota and other states are the ones that apparently keep felons out of our profession. Tattoo artists don't. This profession runs off of apprenticeship mostly. So we're kind, compassionate, beautiful people who really like to give people the benefit of the doubt and give people opportunities to uplift their lives because most of us have found such a sacred peace within our profession and such an amazing healing factor about art itself, but not only that, but the ability to commune with your community in such an amazing way and make an impact in other people's lives, it's truly, truly remarkable. This is an amazing profession for that. And, you know, I'm I'm not arguing the fact that there isn't talent, that there isn't... I've seen... Dude, you know, it's like stick and poke. I have seen some incredible stick and pokes on people that were done in prison. I was like, holy crap. And by the way, that person did not go into tattooing after he got out of prison. But he he did amazing. He did amazing work. Did amazing work. Um, so, you know, there you there you are. There you have it. Um and that's, that's the other thing, guys. Like, on top of, like, shutting the door on certain business, you know, like, just kind of corralling these people into the tattoo industry, you know, and not really giving them more options than that uh, to get work outside of prison, you're also kind of setting them up to have false hope. Because the, thi- the thing of it is, is that this industry is a struggle, 
it's not just about doing the tattoos itself. It's not any one thing. It is a constant need and rhythm and dedication uh, to a craft and to a business and, and to the responsibility that you owe your community that is nonstop. And it's expensive, as I said. So, okay, this, this, this department is going to fuel all this PPE to, um, and machines and power supplies and all this stuff for these prisoners to work this program so that they hope they're not going to do this to themselves still on the back channels. <laughs> I just, I just keep thinking of orange, orange is the new black and how they stole panties so that they could have a whole internal ring of freaking sales going outside. <laughs> outside of the prison system and that's fucking panties so apart from that all of that it's disillusioning because you've given somebody a taste of something that they yeah they might know um you know about how to set up a tattoo machine but can they afford it can they afford it can they afford you know, a baseline tattoo kit, you know, and I hate to put it that way, but they do sell them that way. They're expensive guys. Like they run from anywhere from like $500 to like a thousand dollars to get that. And that's, and that's not enough to actually like start a career or profession. That's just, that's just enough to like set up and do a few tattoos on a few people, you know, and nothing has gotten least, you know, less expensive on us professionals. All of our shit has gone up. You know, taking two years off on the government, the taxpayer, has really, really, really jacked up everything. You know, this, this isn't just the war in Ukraine or any... No, it's what we did back to, you know, for two years, panicking about COVID doing all that stuff, spending gobs and gobs of money, having people not work, be off on unemployment, freaking them out. And so, yeah, all, all costs of everything have gone up, especially things like in my industry that are about, um, you know, covering, you know, like having barriers, having, um, you know, stuff between you and the next person uh that's for safety masks all that stuff you know tattoo supply companies got to keep operating even though tattoo artists technically shouldn't like didn't get to tattoo supply companies kept being able to because they sold medical supplies so folks our job is very 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 integrated with this and we we wouldn't be able to have a job if we didn't do it well some exciting news, diary listeners. We actually got a wonderful promotional code from Reinventing the Tattoo recently, and we're happy to share this with you. It's 10% off on a subscription to Reinventing the Tattoo. And if you don't know about this wonderful, wonderful service, it's continuing education for working professionals, very geared around tattooers. But I would venture to say that if you are looking to improve your art skills and have regular momentum to your career, 
creativity and to your own professional education, I can't recommend it enough. One of the prime people that you will be critiqued by and helped with and draw with and all of that good stuff is Guy Acheson. And if you don't know about him, you probably should. He is a very, very pivotal person in our industry. I joined them for, for one exercise. I, I did a color study. I mean, Rico sat there and, and watched me the other night do mm -hmm. a, a color study exercise with Guy and company, and it was amazing. I was flexing all kinds of muscles. It's just all around if you want to improve your art skills. I can't see a better way than hanging out with a lot of professional artists and seeing the kind of work that they do and the kind of exercises they work on all the time. It's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. So again, that's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. And that's gonna save you 10% on your subscription. Go check it out, folks. And then um, the other thing is, is that there's so many other options uh, that you could explore. I'm sorry if I'm scatterbrained here because I was I was eloquent as fuck with Nan. Like, you know, I was like really passionate because I knew I had to be. I knew we, you know, I was looking at the clock the entire time. I was like, oh, my God, I got a half hour. I got to make my points. So, I mean, you know, I've already gone over that now. I'm into minute 43. So, um, but I had to give you my anecdotal story from earlier about the Thai pod dude. So that, that probably cut into some time. So the other thing is, is that I offered her other situations too. Like, hey, how about incentivizing these people to not tattoo themselves and offer them government grants with the budget that you have that would partner up with a local trade school so that when they're out of prison, they can go directly into a trade school and start training themselves to do a profession that could provide for their life forever, whether that be tattooing or electrical work or carpentry or something, you know, and partner up with that or contact your local tattoo studios who are already doing all the things necessary, know all the regulation because they have to, because they're directly informed by, you know, the, the regulatory systems in Minnesota. They have to, they get emails from them they're, they're connected because they have the licensure. They're on the book. They're overseen. They have a number. You know, shit, you get a temporary license number uh, as a person who's filing for one. So you're, you're in the database and you're trackable. So why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you work with people who are there, who are already paying in, who are already, you know, following the rules and the regulations and held accountable for these things in a very real way? Why wouldn't you partner up with them to, you know, maybe sponsor a few felons that have shown real promise that have been cleared through you in an art capacity. And then, you know, you get Guy Atchison service and train them and teach them to build an epic portfolio. They might actually get an apprenticeship walking in and show some real potential. And you might actually get, you know, an opportunity to work with local tattoo studios that, that would, be a really nice connection uh, to have because, you know, there is hope within those things. And like I said, there's very kind hearts. And I would rather my friends, like Guy Ashton, I mean, I told, I told Nan to directly reach out to Guy Ashton because if anybody should be getting $80,000 
to directly craft a teaching program within the walls of prison, it should be Guy Ashison because one, he's already been doing it for decades. And two, he has a whole subscription service that you can stream in. And, and he could probably work directly with the prison system and, and find, you know, work with them and get paid to do it. I mean, why, why should some three-year-in, wet-behind-the-ears person who barely knows their head from their ass when it comes to tattooing get that kind of money? Not to mention, I'm pretty sure it's not even enough money for that person to do that job because they're not going to be one-on-one with students. They're going to have a classroom. So that's kind of concerning too because the classroom environment even if it's not in a prison has not proven to do great things for our industry it oversaturates our industry it it you know mildly prepares people for taking on the job it 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 handles and manages cross contamination you know definitely but as far as talent as far as like you know do you really belong here and moxie and all of that stuff it, it creates this pay-to-play kind of scenario where you just get the basics and you don't, you, you get this inflated sense of ego about what you know and what you can get in, you know, the door with. And it's just not, it's, it's not an ideal setting for teaching somebody something. The apprenticeship is far better, which is why this is called the Apprenticeship Diaries. And, you know, and it's a bubble. It's a bubble scenario to which, a lot of situational kind of stuff that you learn while you're at a studio, on the ground, working with a mentor. You don't learn in a classroom setting. You just don't learn. And I don't care if it's on the collegiate level, in prison, or in a trade school. You just don't. You get the basics. But ideally, the apprenticeship is the end-all, be-all, best way to learn an apprenticeship. And we, as a, as a community, as an industry, do that. The other thing is, is and this has been brought up too, is why not, why not allocate that tax dollar to education on, in a high school level? Not only paying teachers more, but maybe just do what like like Riley. I'm sorry, Riley. Your name. I don't know why it's like I feel like Elmer Fudd right now. Um, Riley Wes Anderson had this wonderful program where he was able to. Um, do a career setting and and basically be alleviated from his last year of high school and be put into a tattoo apprenticeship and considered, you know, his his career study for high school and he got credit for that. Why not that? Why not support that? Not only are you giving money into a school system, but you're you're giving money again into um young people before they, you know, lose hope or get, you know, off the rails doing bad shit. Um, and it also partners up with, with tattoo studios. Again, giving the money to professional people who have worked their fucking asses off to be there doing all manners of things, doing the right things, doing what's asked of them. And, and you're just shooting them in the foot and and the fallout is going to be on these people who have to manage either ill ill taught people people who don't have the kind of art skills they should have to be tattooing people that are um maybe not um fully recovered in their i don't know in addiction journey 
you know? You're in prison, like, you might not, you might not, I mean, they still are able to get a hold of drugs, but what, you know, what if you're just, you know, it's easier in prison to, um, with the regulation and, and the, the regiment and the schedule and all of the, the consistency of that environment, it's easier to get clean. And then you're thrown back into the life that you had prior to prison and all of the inconsistencies that we have to juggle all day long hit you in the face and you, you maybe go back to using. So, so now, you know, you have, you have this profession you want to get into, but that's really expensive. And you have all these things that you're rehabilitating from. I'm not saying it's impossible, guys. You know, I work on recovering addicts all the time. I've met people who have had very dark pasts. I've walked some dark roads in my life, folks. I know there's hope. I know there is. But there's also a thing called hitting rock bottom that I think, and this is what I express to Nan, I think is necessary when you are so delinquent that you're in prison and you know the rules are that you're not supposed to be tattooing yourself and you know that your likelihood of getting a, a, a disease is higher by doing what you're doing. You know that, um, you know, you only have these options and you're going to be so stubborn against all odds that you're going to, you know, collect safety pins and whatnot and do these makeshift kind of things. And it's with all these opportunities, all these services, all of these extracurricular things that the prison system is trying to give you that's amazing. I mean, they already have an epic art program. And then you still, you still are just saying, I don't care what the rules are. I'm going to do what I want anyway. And I'm going to completely negate my body, its safety, and all of these things in prison. Hang the rules, and I'm going to tattoo myself anyway. Well, my personal opinion about that is, fuck it. Let them. And I don't mean that in terms of that I like it, that I want it to happen, but that is a person that is so uh, self-involved that they have literally no business getting in my profession whatsoever. None. That is a problem child. That is a person that is, is choosing to be ignorant, choosing to be obstinate, choosing to risk themselves in a way that is, that is only going to yield bad things. And, and I say, let them fall to their knees. And in my personal opinion, this is where my faith really comes in. I don't care, you know, if you are, you know, atheist or not, but you can't save everybody. You really can't. You have to save most and if you are presenting really great opportunities for most people, that should be a winning scenario. And if, you know, like I said, if, if you're going to uh, contain a budget for anything that you're going to encourage delinquency, and it, it should be sexually transmitted stuff because that's the things that are probably your, your main thing that's, that's you know, getting down the things. I personally would rather you, you know, stick to the program and, um, 
you know, not allow them to do those things and really come down to on them hard when they do. Um, because they're in prison. They're in prison. And they're supposed to be focusing on if they're trying to rehabilitate, rehabilitation, getting their life together. I know it's fucking hard. I mean, there's been many moments not in prison, but life has brought me to my knees. And it was only when I was cut off. It was only when the people who were trying to keep me afloat uh, the most said, you know what, girl, you are making some of the most heinous decisions ever that we just can't, we can't help you anymore. If you're going to, if you're going to screw up your life this badly and this aggressively, we, we seriously can't help you anymore. Um, so, you know, we got to cut you off. Now I know in the prison system, they can't cut them off, but they definitely don't have to encourage them. And they definitely don't have to, um, bring my profession in there because that's not cool. It's not cool. And my guess is, is that they could probably corral that a lot better than they have been. But they're these correction officers, I'm sure are terrified. And they're not going to be less terrified when you give them sharp objects to wield. <laughs> oh, there's so much to this issue. I'm, I'm hoping I'm covering it all. Um, you know, it just, it really bothers me. And it bothers me that despite all of these things that I, I really passionately express to Nan, who I understand, her, her concerns are, you know, keeping what she perceives to be her budget low in bloodborne pathogen related disease control. But it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to spend a shit ton of money. And the fallout of it is going to oversaturate my industry yet again, with people that are very questionable, because they've already had this past that we, we don't have any kind of control over what's going down because after it was all said and done and she heard me, she was like, thank you, but we're moving forward. So, so after all manner of me telling her how her ideas were not going to work out the way that she thinks and following them through logically and then telling her that nobody needs a tattoo and they should not get a tattoo in prison she says she's going to do it anyway. And everyone, uh, I also followed up with her and said, you know what? The other, the other factor that this is too, is that, you know, tattoos are forever. And if they're not forever, they either need to be covered up or laser removed. And I said, you know, as far as cover-ups, those two, very expensive. So if they don't uplift their life, they are branded forever with what is more than likely a gang tattoo of some kind or a practice tattoo that only you could hope to have from somebody who is a noob tattooing with a tattoo machine in prison. <laughs> and, you know, they're not going to be good for a while. So who are they going to tattoo on? You know, they're going to tattoo on each other and they're going to keep doing it. Not only that, but the tattoo laser removal, as far as I am aware of, and I, I thought she should know this as a health-related person, 
in our industry right now, there are serious questions in the EU about a lot of our inks, specifically uh, greens and blues. And it's like, it involves like half our color spectrum, man. Now it hasn't come over to the States, it's only in the EU, but, but whatever happens in Europe is probably gonna trickle down. And they're, they're, really, they're really cracking down on our inks, not for any reason that really makes sense, it's just speculative that these inks might, might long-term have complications. So, you know, on, on a guess, they're willing to wreck our profession and take away half our colors. And what I informed her is, is that the, at least from what I've gathered from listening to people in the NIH who are studying our inks, they have no biological studies to go off of because that would require a human study or an animal study. Both are unethical, especially in the EU. But on the NIH, they don't do that. What they can only do is isolate things and um, see how they react under certain circumstances. And they said the one thing that they can deduce about the inks that might be problematic is their exposure to UV light. It does certain things, but as we all well know, UV light uh, does a lot of things. It, it in itself uh, has particular reactions with our skin altogether. So that's UV light itself. And duh, that's why tattoo artists tell people not to be sun goddesses or gods when they get tattooed is because it's not going to help the life of your tattoo and it's gonna cause problems because when you rush blood flow to an area where you have tattoo particles or ink particles trapped under the skin, if there's you know any kind of allergy or any kind of thing or histamine, it will, it will agitate those ink particles in the skin, locked in the skin. The skin will try to push those ink particles out, but then there's no real way to do it. So the tattoo will get puffy, it'll get itchy, all of those things that will happen with sun exposure. So that I know. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't include that part on that. What I did tell her is, is the laser removal part. I said, you want to talk about dangerous? That is the one way that our inks are dangerous because with large scale tattoo removal, what happens is, is the ink that was trapped in the layers of your skin, not rushing into your bloodstream, merely trapped in the layers of the cellular structure of your skin, there's not a massive dump during tattooing of ink into your bloodstream, which would ultimately go through your lymphatic system. There is, however, a huge dump of ink particles into your system with tattoo laser removal. So when you laser remove, all of these ink particles flood your system. Of course, the, the, you know, the hope is most of them get digested, pushed through different ways, filtered through organs, yada, yada, yada. But they, through analyzing cadavers and stuff like that, heavily tattoo people, and what I would speculate, people who probably had tattoo laser removal as well, had ink particles trapped in their lymphatic system. Now, still, there is no research that says that that was problematic. These people didn't die of lymphatic cancer. There was no cancer found anywhere near the, you know, the ink itself where it was trapped. So it's, it's just proven that the ink particles 
gig trapped in lymphatic system, period, end of story, nothing more. So all of this is speculative, but I told her if, if you were, you know, concerned about health implications at all, you know, you should consider the fact that, you know, if these people get out of prison and they don't want to be marked with a tattoo that they got in prison anymore as they re rehabilitate their life, um, they're going to have to de default to either getting that tattoo covered up or tattoo laser removal. And, you know, I've, I've done these kind of cover-ups and stuff. They're not cheap. Um, you know, I had a young lady that had to have a swastika covered up because her youth, she was so disillusioned and depressed, and she had several of her friends commit suicide that she got wrapped up in a bad group of people, and they tattooed her, stick and poke, little, little swastika. And then she went to go get it covered up, the tattoo artist put a big, dark blue star around it. And that's how he was going to cover it up. And it didn't cover up. What it did was it framed this, this Nazi symbol. So then she had to get that covered up. And that was just a young woman who was angry trying to rehabilitate her life and who had this tattoo. And... When I tell you how emotional this woman was when that thing was finally covered up, she had, she had gone with it for, I think, almost 20-some years. She's like, in her 30s when, when, I mean, like, 15, 20 years, something like that, she had endured this tattoo that she couldn't wear dresses. She couldn't do anything that allowed her to, you know, be free of, of that point in her life, that anger in her life those choices, nothing, you know, and she had to wait until she met me and, I, and, and, and was able to move forward uh, financially to do what she needed to do. And this tattoo artist who was supposed to know what the fuck he was doing didn't, made the situation work worse. The, the symbol that she had, the little swastika, would have been easy as hell to cover up. But then he put this big blue star around it, and so that's shitty. And so that's that's what you get, folks. That's what you get when you get bulk-educated tattoo artists don't, that don't get good apprenticeships. They do dumb shit like that. Yeah, they might know how to put in a solid star that frame a Nazi symbol. That's what you get. And you get somebody who doesn't give a shit either. You get somebody who's like, you know what? I'm going to make mine. I... I I deserve this because they haven't been humbled by their experience. They haven't been brought to their knees. You know, it isn't for me to say what somebody deserves, you know, it really isn't. But I do think that we get what we deserve. We get what we put in. And if you don't put in enough, you don't deserve it. And so that's why I'm really upset about this. More than that, Let's go back to this three-year wet-behind-the-ear tattoo artist that they're, th they're seeking. And that's minimum. You know, they might find somebody who has an extensive portfolio in tattooing and who wants to gravitate into this career and actually is passionate about it. It might. It might. Um, they might. But 
What I see also is this person being overwhelmed by this job very quickly because in the one time that I apprenticed somebody and successfully did it, it was overwhelming. And the time that I failed doing it, it was definitely overwhelming and I felt inadequate. So imagine having a classroom of felons, you know? So, you know, you, you give them this position, you're probably not paying them enough for it. Um, it's something really, really involved like tattooing. And then this person is probably going to get angry and a little resentful of the fact that they're, you know, probably not giving, you know, getting the tools that they need necessarily to do the job really, really well. And, and, you know, if they, if you have a knowledgeable person, they're, they're probably going to really get frustrated. And then they're going to start demanding, um, more and more and more, uh, taxpayer money, more services, more anything. And my guess is, is that it, this person is going to become like a talking head of, uh, qualified government sponsored, uh, tattoo experience to which I would imagine this might evolve into further things that affect my industry. You know, I don't know the, 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 the amount of bullshit that is wrapped up into this, the amount to which they are putting their fucking greedy hands into the cookie jar unknowingly based on really ridiculous reasons and rationale that they, I just don't think that they're following through to the end. Um, with potentially sex offenders, violent criminals, from what I understand, Stillwater is who they're hoping to do this with. That is a place known for violent offender offenders. So, you know, like I, I, I like Nan. I mean, she seemed like a sweet lady, but I also coached her. And in my follow-up, I was like, please heed my warnings here. I thoroughly understand what I'm talking about, what, you know, and, and I'm also coming from a place of where this will benefit me nothing. And how do you judge a char- a character of a person unless they are willing to stick their neck out in a way that just doesn't really individually benefit them. And this is it. It doesn't individually benefit me to take my time to investigate these things, meet with Nan, figure out what the hell is going on. I don't even live in Minnesota and I don't have any intention of living there as nice a state as it is. Um, I live in Maryland and ask, and, and everyone, as you've heard before in this podcast, Maryland is an unlicensed state altogether. So there's that for you. Why, why would I leave an unlicensed state altogether where I could be delinquent, delinquent as I want to be? Why would I leave it all to pay $140 in a temporary license to, to travel to a foreign tattoo shop, meet new tattoo artists, all these things? Why would I do that? Why would I, why would I have a podcast about apprenticeships? Why would I take on apprentices? Why would I, you know, I don't get paid for that stuff. You know, I could, if I was raising them to work in my own studio, but I don't have the kind of setup for that right now. I, uh, why would I, why would I hold a licensure in Rhode Island? Uh, if I'm in a, in a place where I, you know, I could just stay here and not have to spend that kind of money every year, which, by the way, is $90 a year to have a permanent license uh, in another state. 
why would I do, why would I do that? Why would I take my time to do that? Um, because I give a shit guys, because I give a shit about my profession, because I give a shit about people because I care and I'm not alone. And I'm really trying to rally the troops of the people that I know. Steve Cochran's one. I met another um, tattoo artist named Abigail who is willing to come on. I, I'm excited to hear about how she got into tattooing as well. As you know, that's my that's my normal uh, scope and interest. But because this is specifically uh, something that because you know deals with the education of my craft my talent, my profession. It's something that I need to go out in the airwaves and to hit my community and to hit not only my community, but people at large so that they don't give their money and their tax dollars to shit like this and that they dive deep and they get involved and they ask hard questions and they stand up against people like Nan who are really, really sweet and kind of do this whole like smoke and mirrors, like there's nothing to see behind here. I'm just really sweet and concerned kind of shit. Um, which I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. Um, I wouldn't imagine you'd be involved in things like that if you really didn't genuinely, genuinely care about people as well. But the, the fact of the matter is that you work for a system that can only do so much, whereas you could work with systems and people who are actual members of the community that you're, you're siphoning money from that could do a much better job, a much, much better job. And on those optics too, people, I belong to a lot of apprenticeship groups on Facebook, and I've seen people who aren't in prison, who are trying their hearts out to climb into this profession, everything they can do. And there is so much information too. That's the other thing is that when you get out, you know, of prison, there's, there's endless YouTube videos that, that kind of my generation of tattoo artists and beyond have created as information for you to study. And, and you could just spend your day on YouTube and you could you could get an education right there. And honestly, again, far less expensive to the taxpayer, but let's look at the taxpayer. Let's look at, you know, Joe, who, you know, it works a nine to five and he's an artist and he's always wanted to tattoo, but he's trying his heart out and he, he's never really had the optics or the situation to, um, provide him the kind of, art education necessary so not only is he like struggling to be an artist and pursue his art no better things in artwork but he would love to be a tattoo artist but you know he's got to get his art skills up he's got to find time to practice he maybe has a kid or a wife or, or a life that he started and he has to pay taxes and taxes that go to things like this corrections system and teaching inmates how to do a job that he would love to do, but he can't do because he's got to be a, a good person and not break the law and not hurt people and not steal their stuff and all those things. He has to go to his job and he has to buckle down to provide for himself and his family. And he would love to break into this profession, but he's being bled dry 
by a government that takes his money from him and then puts it towards programs like this where I can't even talk to the person on the record. So you guys are going to have to trust that this was the conversation I had with Nan. All right. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And Nan knows I'm not lying. And her assistant and the HR person knows I'm not lying, too. They were CC'd on the follow-up email, at least, that I, I sent to Nan. So they know, at least, that I'm going to be talking about this and that I have serious objections because I wanted shit on the record. And I've encouraged all of the people that I've talked about this with on the back channels to email Nan. So with that, I'm going to uh, ask that if you feel the same as I feel, that you do the same. Email her. Let her know how much you don't approve of, of this particular thing that she's doing and the optics of it and why. And, you know, spit some truth at her because it's not going to work out the way that she wants. They're still going to do it. And if they are going to still do it, I don't want them. I don't want them. I, I want them to feel the pain of their circumstances. And to me, that's something that you leave to a higher power to enact in their life, whatever that might be, um, whatever happens. But if you're going to be that stubborn, um, obstinate, that, that irreverent with how you're going to handle people, life, yourself, whatever, opportunity, you don't deserve more, you deserve less. And that's just how I feel. Um, so anybody who agrees with me, you can, you can email Nan as, it, as she likes to be called, but her email is Nanette, uh, N-A-N-E-T-T-E period Larson. And that's L-A-R-S-O-N at state period M-N period U-S. So I encourage you to do that. Flood her inbox. And, um, you know, and, and if you're a teacher, I would, I would do that too. If you're a teacher and if this pricks you, the fact that this job requires no education experience whatsoever, so that would be insulting to me if I was a teacher. Um, I'd contact this because, you know, what the hell, man? Like, y'all have, you know, you're teaching our young minds. You're trying to keep them from places like this, ultimately. And... I think this is insulting as hell to you in your profession as well. Because what I found out in my times trying to apprentice uh, someone and teach them, and I was successful with one, is that teaching is a whole freaking other bag. That's a whole other profession that, that requires its own knowledge and accountability and ways of dealing with things, attitude, personage, character, all of it. It, it, it demands a lot. And for this to happen and happen the way that it's at least framed, I think is, I think is still highly irresponsible and will not help and will cost all of you a lot of money. And I don't want that because our money is not taking us as far as it used to. And 
we need to come together as communities to really uplift each other and fight back at people who want to tell us how to do what we do. Because we know what we need to do. We know what we are. We know what we're about. At least I do. And I know that this is not going to work. And I know that I do my job well. I go far and above what I need to. I've already told you guys about the licensures that I hold and the, and the practice that I keep. And, uh, you know, I, I probably could do half of it and still have a very successful career. In fact, I probably have a, a more money in my bank, more, more money-driven, lucrative career if I cared less about these things and, and focus on just, just tattooing and making money. But I don't. I care about my community, about people, about how they're affected, about their opportunities, about the education, everything. I care. And probably more than is, is really advisable for my own health and well-being. But screw it, people. We got to make a mark somewhere in this world. And, and mine is really, really, really giving all I can to anything that I pursue. And so that's why I'm having this talk with y'all today. And for Nan, I'm... I, <laughs> I'm going to pray for you because I'm not going to be uh, a, uh, a, what do you call them? I'm not going to be a ally here in this for you. If you're going to just hear me for a half hour off the record, which is, you know, just kind of entertaining me, I think. If you're not going to, you know, put that shit on the record and really listen to me and make some serious notes. The only note that she made, by the way, guys, was my, my hourly rate, which I don't know what she's going to do with that information. I informed her that I'm actually really cheap in grand comparison to hourly rates of, of people of my, my advanced age in the career. But she, uh, she took that down and then she goes, oh, well, that's good to know. And then I don't know why we didn't dig into it because I had too much to say about what she was doing. Um, but you know, if she's going to look at me and I'm going to talk at her, like talking at a brick wall, really, even though she said she heard me and she appreciated me and everything, she still, she still looked at me blankly and said, well, we're, we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. So, you know, you're getting lots of objection and you just took a lot of my time and energy that I didn't have to give for reasons that are very, very sound and based in knowledge. And then you're just going to be like, yeah, I don't care. We're doing it anyway. <laughs> We're doing it anyway. So folks, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, Rico's home. I've got a lasagna in the oven that I gotta, I gotta get to. And, um, I think that I filled you in enough. I'm going to elaborate on this as uh, I, I get people who are interested in this topic and who would like to offer. Uh, Abigail was really cool. She had some really great insights that are very personal from her own story that I would love to hear more of and have you guys hear more of because I think it will inform this. Um, there's, there's, there's Steve. I still got to talk to Steve. So we're going to have a follow-up podcast probably. Um, and it's, and it's going to be released installments, but I had to, I had to right away put this podcast out for y'all to, uh, absorb 
so that maybe you could just inundate Nan and really make her aware. And, um, you know, I might actually go above her head. I haven't, I haven't done that research yet, but, uh, I might do that and, uh, just, just post that along with all the other information. So if you'd like to go above her head, I mean, all of it's on, on the site, um, that I'm going to be linking with this podcast. So you'll be able to dive deep, see if I've been, um, true to the optics, see if I have, you know, linked up with what they say they're doing and, uh, and yeah, look for yourselves. I definitely, I definitely want you to challenge what I'm saying because, you know, I'm not here to be right, but I am here to inform people and to offer transparency because I do not think that we can move forward well together as a unit if there isn't that kind of honesty. All right, diary listeners, I love you all and I appreciate your time. You've given me quite a bit. It's far more than a half hour, so I appreciate all of you. And do me a favor, um, because I, 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 he's on my heart. Pray for Typod, dude. I, I don't know if he got arrested today, <laughs> but it was probably a really bad day. He did get 30 bucks of mine, but uh, it, it seemed like he had deeper problems. So, so give him some love uh, if you can, because I think he needs it. Later, folks. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our listeners. listeners.